Today on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I am celebrating my 55th birthday and reflecting on all the things that I've learned in 55 years. It's been a little while since I put my coaching hat on here on this podcast, but I'm going to be talking about something a little bit different. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, ladies, and welcome to this week's episode of Empowering Midlife Wellness. And today is May 18th, which is my birthday. So today I'm 55, and in the spirit of Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm going to talk about a little something different today. It's been a while since I put my coaching hat on. We've been talking about hormones and all kinds of other things, but You know, I was thinking about what I have learned in the past 55 years, and I wanted to share some of those things with you because for sure I'm still learning, but when I thought about it, I've actually learned quite a few cool things. And you know, in this age where being a woman over 50 is often considered by our culture to be something that you don't want to be, or that somehow being younger was better, I just think it's really important sometimes to think about that getting older is amazing. You know, what's the other option? (laughs) So I sure as heck don't want to be 20 and I'm not ready to be dead yet. So I'm super excited to be 55 and I'm going to wear this t-shirt all day and celebrate. Uh, You know, years in the past, I used to try to hide from my birthday or I didn't want to be that certain number or felt sad about the milestone birthdays, but I'm really learning to celebrate each year that I get older because I'm actually getting better at living, which is a pretty cool idea. And hopefully you are too. So let's celebrate that. And I'm going to share with you my top 10 things that I've learned in the past 55 years. So I'm going to have a different list probably next year because they're continuing to change. But let me tell you what I got so far. Number one is that life has suffering in it. I didn't make that up. You know, that's a ancient Buddhist saying that life has suffering in it. But it's very, very important, I think, for us to understand that life feels hard sometimes. And that doesn't mean that anything's wrong. Because things in life are sometimes hard. And what makes it difficult is if we resist that and are always wishing for things to be perfect or clinging for things to be a certain way and not just understanding that sometimes things are hard and that that is part of life. And it sounds pretty simple, but I'm going to read you this amazing quote from one of my teachers, uh, Vinnie Ferraro. He's an amazing guy. If you look him up, he's uh, got a website called Big Heart City Meditation. One of the many great things he said is, what I continually forget and remember is that the content is just about irrelevant. What matters is my response to it. That is what flavors my experience. I don't take credit or blame for what's out of my influence. What matters is how I receive it. And that might sound kind of big and heavy, but it's just kind of good to remember, isn't it? That all this stuff is happening in the world and a lot of it is really crappy. Sometimes it feels like the world's on fire or it may feel like that even inside your own family or your job. I mean, for sure, all of us have stuff going on all the time that isn't what we prefer if we could have made the world a perfect place. But all we can do is change the way we receive it. And whether I suffer or not is simply a matter of how I choose to respond to what's coming at me, which is a pretty amazing concept. And 
in the category of simple but not easy. So I'm working on that one every day. But, you know, when you read the news or when you have stuff happen in your family that isn't the way you want it, we do have a choice about how to respond. And that ultimately is going to lead to whether I feel happy or whether I suffer. Pretty cool idea. That was number one. Number two goes along with that, which is to embrace impermanence. That sounds like a big one, uh, but recognizing that nothing stays the same and that wanting it to stay the same, clinging to things that cannot stay the same, like for example, wanting to be 20 or to not have wrinkles or to not have gray hair or any of the things that we might wish to not change, that's what creates the suffering. It's not the getting older, it's the wishing we weren't getting older that creates the suffering. So trying to keep things the same when it's impossible for them to stay the same is such a, frankly, waste of energy that I've wasted a lot of energy on over the years. And I'm still doing it, but I'm starting to recognize it more. I think one of the things that makes that so vibrant in my daily life is having children and talk about impermanence right in front of you, right? Just this weekend, I was looking at some of those photos of when the kids were little, because mine are now teenagers and doing what teenagers do, which is not necessarily to spend all day celebrating my birthday like they used to when they were, you know, five to 10 years old. Uh, And at the time, I didn't recognize impermanence. And, you know, some, I think I probably didn't think about it much at all, but some part of me thought it would always be that way. And because of that, I didn't appreciate it enough. And I don't want to spend time in regret that I didn't appreciate it enough, but rather to realize I need to appreciate it now, you know, because all these things are changing so quickly. So impermanence is really beautiful because if something's not the way you want it or you're suffering, that is not going to stay that way. It's not the end of the story. If you're suffering, it's not going to stay that way. It will change, which is great, right? On the other hand, if something's really wonderful, it's also not going to stay that way. And that's not a pessimistic idea, but rather a call to just absolutely make the most out of every moment that's good because you know it's fleeting. I mean, all of this is going to change. So embracing impermanence doesn't have to be a pessimistic idea at all. In fact, I think it's the opposite. So number three, I'm learning to not take things so personally. You know, my brain is just full of stories and the way I see the world is through a very small lens that certainly doesn't represent all of reality because it was caused by the way I grew up and my culture and some of its legacy from my ancestors. But I know a very small amount, and I'm seeing the world through a tiny little lens, and so is everybody else. So if I can recognize that when something comes at me from another person, for example, just uh, say, for example, something unkind comes at me, like it happens to me sometimes. I got a really nasty email the other day. I actually didn't take it personally. I, I didn't get triggered at all because I could see in that email the suffering of the other person and that they were just operating through a a different lens, a different perspective, and it had nothing to do with me. It was all about them. They were telling me something about themselves, but it certainly wasn't telling me anything about me. So that's been a really helpful idea, uh, just to create less suffering for myself when something comes at me from another person that's not something that I would prefer. 
it's really just telling me about the other person. It's very unlikely telling me much about myself. Now maybe it's giving me some feedback that I can use to change, but not to take it all so personally, because I promise it's not all about me. The world is not happening to me. The world is just happening, and I'm just in it. So all of these things have just given me a lot more peace, and it's a constant learning journey that I'm doing all the time. So number four, this one is a really cool one. I, I'm starting to learn to listen to the voices in my head, listen to my thoughts, but not get attached to them and not believe that my thoughts are true. Because if I can just sit quietly and listen to those thoughts, most of them are a bunch of nonsense. You know, occasionally there's some wisdom in there, but it's just a lot of chitter chatter between the different parts of myself that are just buzzing along. It's what the brain does. But I think we can get too attached to it and think that's really who we are. So I don't want to make a big statement and say that I know who we really are. And a lot of us have different versions of this from our uh, different spiritual traditions. But uh, one that I really resonate with right now that I've been studying the past year or so comes from a psychologist called uh, Richard Schwartz. And you can check him out. He uh, invented a system called Internal Family Systems, uh, which is really cool. And you can read all about it online. But uh, one of the ways he describes our highest version of ourself, so to speak, is that we have this internal self energy that's always been there. We're born with it. We don't have to create it. It's just a matter of uncovering it. And that we know when we're operating from self energy and not from these chitter chattering voices, when we have these C's. And the C's are calm, curiosity, compassion, clarity, creativity, confidence, and courage. And I love that list because if I'm operating with those things being present, then I'm operating from the highest version of myself. And it might only be for a few minutes every day. But I can also notice when I'm not operating from that state, if I'm not calm, or I'm not feeling curious, I'm sure I'm right, and I'm just digging my heels in, or I'm not feeling compassionate, I'm not caring about another person or myself, or I feel muddled, I'm not clear, um, or I, I feel shy, I'm not feeling confident, then I know I'm not operating from that best version of myself, and I can hopefully bring myself online, go somewhere quiet and try to bring some of that self-energy forward because whenever I do that, I've learned I make better decisions and I create more happiness for myself and others. So that's a cool one. Now, I mentioned already, I think the important idea that I've learned is that it's not a matter of doing more work on yourself, like to improve yourself or make yourself better. And that's a pretty aggressive way to go about it. It's actually more about doing less and being quiet more and just listening. Because again, we're not trying to create something, we're just trying to find something that's already there. And there's a beautiful poem uh, that I have in my office about this uh, exact thing. Um, you can look it up, it's by Emily McDowell. And I won't recite the whole thing, but she describes that finding yourself is not really how it works. You're not a $10 bill in an old winter coat pocket. I love that saying, you're, you're already there. It's a matter of uncovering what's already there, what, what was put there after you came into the world and uncovering the way you were before the world 
got its hands on you. And I'm not directly quoting the poem there, but just parts of it. So check it out. That's a beautiful poem, and we have it on the wall of my office as a daily reminder. So now we're halfway through. We're up to number five. Speaking of curiosity, I am learning to not be so sure that I'm right about anything because I'm really good at being right. I, I used to be so digging about being right about anything, but letting go of being right and living in wonder and being less afraid to say, hey, I was wrong about that or accepting a new idea just allows me to grow. And it also is a lot more fun because digging in and being right leads to conflict and who wants that? So I'm learning to not take my opinions so seriously, just to lighten up a little bit because God knows my opinions are just my opinions, and they're certainly not the capital T truth. So lightening up about being right brings a lot more happiness and peace to your life. So find lightness and humor in things. Maybe things are not quite so serious. And you know, one of the ways that all of us know, because it's talked about so much, is having a gratitude practice. And that might just sound so cliched because everybody talks about it, but there's a really cool little gratitude practice that uh, was offered to me that I would like to share with you because it just takes a couple minutes a day. So you wake up in the morning before you get out of bed, take several big deep breaths before you even get up, think of three things that you're grateful for, and there's a million choices. It might be as simple as that you've got comfy pillow, you've got a nice blanket, you're going to have some nice food that day, or the temperature in the room's nice, or you could go on and on. Once you've found those things, then feel into that feeling of gratitude, really feel it. That takes about 30 seconds, and then set one intention for the day. An intention could be so many things. It may be to ingest foods that are healthy for you, uh, to get some exercise, to be kind to a stranger for no reason, uh, to speak with a soft tone. I mean, you could go on and on about what your intentions might be. And then, to, you know, stick to it throughout the day. Um, and that's such a fun practice. And the end of the practice, the suggestion is to turn up the corners of your mouth. <laughs> Just create a real or fake smile. And that is a really cool brain hack, because when we smile, even if we've don't really want to, if it's a fake smile, that also works. It actually has been shown to create serotonin in our brain, which as most of us know is a hormone that makes us feel happy. So turning up the corners of your mouth is one of the best ways to feel happy. <laughs> Super simple, so give it a try. Okay, number six. This one might sound really simple, but it's all about how acting and speaking in alignment with what I know is the right thing to do causes me to feel happy. And so in some spiritual traditions, they might call that karma. And I'm not talking about God coming down and striking you with lightning if you say something mean. I'm talking about when you say something mean, you feel horrible. It's an immediate action reaction. When you say something nice, you feel good. When you act the way that you know you should, you feel good. And that, that just is a it's just a fact. So sounds so simple, but I love this saying. And I have said it before on this podcast. Uh, Vinny Ferraro, again, thank you, Vinny. If you want to feel good about yourself, do things that you feel good about. <laughs> right? Super simple. I know. I have to say that to myself every day. If you want to feel good about yourself, do things that you feel good about. 
and if you want to stop suffering, stop doing things you don't feel good about. I mean, how many of us continue to do things that we don't feel good about? Maybe we're drinking too much alcohol, for example. We're eating foods that we know are not healthy. We're speaking to our friends or coworkers in a way that's not kind or gossiping or things that we just know are not good and we know they make us feel bad. We have a choice to change those patterns. Um, and the first step is just to bring it into awareness and then you can make a change. So I love that one. Another one I love is my number seven, and that is to be kind to yourself. I had many, many years where I had a critical voice in my head that talked to me in a way that I would never in a million years speak to anybody else. Now the kicker is that that critical voice actually helped me to be pretty successful, but it was in a very aggressive way. Kind of like I was talking about, you know, making yourself a better person or just pushing through and that kind of language, like sleep when you're dead and all that. So I had a really loud, critical voice. And, uh, you know, I work with a lot of patients who are trying to lose weight. We're talking about that a lot these days. Um, And many of us suffer with a voice that might say something like, come on, you fat, lazy slob, you need to eat healthy food and go to the gym because you're a loser and we need to get in shape, kind of in a military-type manner. And you can almost imagine that person with a whip behind you. But it's just not very kind. Now, that might work (laughs) in getting you to the goal that you want, but it sure as heck doesn't make your day happy. And long-term probably leads to that plan not sticking because in a way we're not creating it for ourselves. We're not choosing that path ourselves. We're relying on this external inner critic who, of course, is part of us, but in a way we're being pushed to do something that we don't really want to do. So talk to yourself a little bit more kindly. So when my critical voice comes on and says something like that, now I might be able to hear the voice and and talk to it and say, thank you, critical voice. I know you're trying to help me because she is. She's trying to be helpful. I know you're trying to motivate me, but I'm going to try a different voice that sounds more like, you know what, I'm going to choose to get up today and do healthy movement and put good nutrients in my body because I care about this body, I love this person, and I want to take good care of her. So it's the same message, just a totally different voice. And that's something I'm working on that I've learned in my 55 years. So another thing that this attack onto that is that if that doesn't happen for you automatically, you get to do it over. You get unlimited do-overs. You can start again. You know, if it didn't work today, start again tomorrow. If it didn't work today, start again in the next minute. Just make the next best decision. But as often as you breathe, you've got a chance to start over. So it's not the end of the story. So try again. Didn't work, try again. We get to keep trying. And that is a really cool thing. Um, Number eight, we were talking a little bit about setting intentions. And so I'm learning to be intentional with my life. I really don't want to get to the end of life by accident, just being taken down a stream that I didn't have a choice in or didn't feel that I was intentional about. So how do we create these intentions? For me, it's really been, it's an ongoing journey of learning to know what resonates with me, what makes me feel happy, what makes me suffer, and frankly, just doing more of the things that make me feel happy and less of the things that make me suffer, which sounds so simple, but 
again, going back to how often do we keep repeating behaviors that don't lead to happiness and lead to suffering. So that can happen accidentally if we don't every day set an intention. That's why I love that practice of waking up every day and just setting an intention and trying to stick to it. And that is a habit that you can create very easily that will lead you to have a life that's intentional. So you can arrange your life in such a way that you're doing more of the things that you want to do and fewer of the things that you don't want to do, which also sounds simple. Now, all of us have things we need to do, right? Like, you know, we have things to take care of. I need to pay the bills. I need to take out the trash. I need to eat and drink water. And there's certain things for sure that we need to do. But very frequently, I'll hear some, a voice in my head saying, you should do this, or you need to do that, or you have to do that. And when I hear those types of words, just to stop for a second and question them, like, who said I should do such and such? Just to evaluate whether I really am doing the things that are going to light up my life. And then, you know, certain things to recognize that I may not want to do things right away that I know are good for my health because it involves change that is scary and that fear is part of it. So, for example, going back to the losing weight, yeah, I might initially not want to do some of those things or to change a relationship, either to start a new one or end an old one or any habit that you can think of that you know deep down is going to be really good for your holistic health. Maybe you don't really want to do that or a part of you doesn't want to do that at first, but one of the most important things that I learned, and I want to thank my friend, Coach Meg Ellis, who's been on this show several times, is to reframe that into I choose to do whatever it is. So maybe it feels scary and part of me doesn't want to do it, but I'm going to choose to do that thing because I know it's in the best interest of my health. And that's just such an easy, simple little switch to make that can make actions so much more positive. And then the stuff you need to do, like maybe going to the grocery store to get groceries or whatever it is that it's like, oh, this feels like a pain. Another cool idea that Meg taught me is to say, I get to do that. I get to go to the grocery store, for example. And I'm so privileged to have a grocery store that's got so much amazing food and it's safe to eat and it it's not poisonous, and I've got the resources to buy it, and I've even got electricity to cook it and plates to eat it off. And you could go on and on with that when things feel like they're kind of drudgery. Sometimes we can just reframe it and, and feel lucky that we're having the opportunity to do these things. So thank you, Meg, for those ideas. Now, number nine, we're almost at the end. Um, I'm 55. I'm very likely more than halfway through my life, although you never know, I might live to be 111. Life is not a dress rehearsal. (laughs) I mean, how much of life did we just sort of blow through without really paying attention? So at some point, usually around midlife, if we're lucky, we wake up and realize that there's a very short part of life left, and and what are we going to do with this one wild and precious life that we have, which is a quote from a really beautiful Mary Oliver poem called A Summer Day, so you can check that out. But what are we going to do with this one wild and precious life? And that does go back to intention and also to impermanence. Like We just don't have all the time in the world, so let's really make it as good as we can. Now, I could look at the first half of my life as a bunch of 
mistakes in some ways. You know, I got divorced. Uh, a lot of things happened, right? And I'm sure they did for all of us. And those were not mistakes. They were lessons because they got me to where I am now, which is exactly where I need to be. And I would suggest that you're exactly where you need to be too, to be available for the next lesson. And when people said things to me like that, I used to cringe like, oh God, that is so corny. I'm suffering here, can't you tell? And you might be, but that doesn't mean that you're not in the right place. So that really resonates with me. And the first half of my life was learning a bunch of lessons that are going to allow me to live the second half of my life in the best way possible if I listen to the lessons that I was taught. So I'm, I'm really learning to reflect on those lessons so that I don't repeat the same things over and over again that are not going in a good direction. We don't have to call them mistakes, but if we're repeating the same things over and over that are leading to harm or to suffering, it's a really good idea. That's your self-energy poking you saying, hey, let's not do that again to listen to those messages. So that's something that I'm learning. And number 10, last but not least, I have learned that when I'm feeling down or if I want to be happy, that being kind or generous to someone else is really the root of what we're here for. And I don't claim to know the purpose of life, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with service. So if I'm just feeling depressed and crappy and self-absorbed, if I can get myself up and say something kind to somebody or, or do something kind for another person, immediately I feel better. I benefit not only from the generosity, but from getting out of my own self-centeredness and then the other person benefits as well. Pretty simple and so easy to do doesn't have to be anything grandiose, just the littlest thing. Um, and that is what I have learned in my 55 years. So if you like this episode today, uh, please subscribe, share with your friends. I'd love to hear your comments about what you've learned in your so many years. And as your birthday's coming up this year, I invite you to celebrate, don't hide it. There's no reason to be ashamed of getting older. In fact, getting older is absolutely the best thing and what is the alternative so i can't wait to see you next week mm -hmm.